Well, welcome to some of you. Welcome back to others of you. It's good to see you all here today. This is the final installment of John chapter 6, the gospel reading that keeps going on and on. I questioned as I began, James and I talked early on about why in the world we had to be in chapter 6 of John's gospel for four weeks straight, but I am convinced now that there's really too much here to cover, and really even two sermons, and so it's needed at least three, and so I'm grateful for it after much gnashing of teeth and much sweating and praying profusely, uh, you know, about this whole thing. But, but today we want to get into this last section of John chapter 6. And I have to tell you that this is the part of the chapter that I was most excited about preaching because it's one of those passages that I come back to in my own devotional life over and over again. And particularly to the students that are here, college as well as our high school and our middle school, to Kieran who's heading off we're going to send Kieran off into the service. I want you to, 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 to lock on to Peter's response to Jesus because it is so incredibly important in our discipleship as we travel through a hostile world. So listen closely to what Peter says when we get to that verse in a minute. But let's just, let's just deal with the elephant in the room. Can we deal with the elephant in the room, first of all? We all know somebody that has walked away from the Christian faith. Don't you? Don't you know somebody? I remember in college the first time I ever knew a brother who was a part of our college fellowship. And then one day we found out that he had just decided that he no longer believed. And I remember being just confused and, and affected by that greatly. How could somebody come? I mean, it's hard enough for somebody to believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, but to believe and then to walk away seemed almost impossible to me. I, I didn't know how to, to wrap my mind around it. I'm still not quite sure I do. But here in John 6, we see that Jesus himself in his earthly ministry experienced the same sort of walk away that we may have experienced in our own lives. For Jesus, it's because he's just been talking about his body being real food and his blood being real drink. And we talked last week, and I don't have time to review everything we talked about, but to know that this, the whole section here, Jesus is saying, I am giving you myself, you're to be nourished on me, and I made the point that we get to come and receive communion every week, and by faith, Jesus promises to be present to us in that sacrament. And so Jesus has said this, but for those listeners who yet have not experienced the crucifixion, they've not experienced the resurrection, they don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out of them on Pentecost, it is confusing and the scriptures say it is hard for them to understand. They just can't make sense of it. And Jesus perceives it. And he hears them grumbling, which just to go back to a couple of weeks ago is another reference back to the children of Israel in the desert, right? They're grumbling about God. Because God's not doing the things and not acting the way they wanted him to. And so Jesus, perceiving, begins to speak into this, this moment, this crisis of faith in the lives of these disciples. And don't mistake, they are disciples. They are, John says, they are followers of Jesus. This isn't just the crowd. These are people like our friends that we know who at one point followed Christ but now are rethinking that decision. What a strange twist. 
the beginning of the chapter, chapter 6, remember that, that Jesus has fed the 5,000 and they want to make him king. And now they're walking away from him. You see, if, if we will not allow Jesus to remake us in his image, if we try to force Jesus into our image, at some point there will be a break in the relationship and we'll walk away. Just as these disciples are walking away. They can't handle the, the real body and real blood and eating and drinking, and it's scandalous. It's hard. It's hard to understand for a first century Jewish person to, to accept that you're to drink. I'm to drink your blood, Jesus. I mean, it would, have, it would have been scandalous. And yet Jesus doesn't explain it further. He offers himself. He says, truth comes by the Spirit. The, the flesh is of no use. In other words, this is not something you're going to be able to work out in your natural mind. It's not going to make sense in the scientific way of thinking of it. It's, it's, it's going to be beyond your natural capacity. But the Spirit speaks truth. My words are spirit and life. Jesus says, I am offering you myself that you might know me and that by knowing me you might begin to, to understand the truth that I'm presenting to you spirit and life and then Jesus goes on to say something which sometimes for us and, and in, throughout church history has caused people to be concerned about you know it's like free will and predestination because Jesus says remember that no one can come to the Father and no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And we think that of that in a, in a sort of a pushing away way, but I think Jesus means it as a, as a, a drawing. To, to don't, be, don't be alarmed that the Father is drawing you to me. Trust the Spirit. You've been with me. You've seen my character. You've, you've watched me interact. You've seen how I've responded to crowds and enemies and you, my disciples, Trust in me. Trust my spirit. Jesus is saying, you've come to this moment where you have to make a decision. Will you believe me? Even when you don't understand, even when it's hard, even when my sayings are hard and confusing, or will you fall into despair? It seems that God actually brings us to places like this in our lives where we we are, are we're challenged. Perhaps for some of you, you were challenged by the reading of Ephesians chapter 5 today. You know, we always focus on the submission. But that's not what Paul focuses on. Paul focuses on the sacrificial love of Christ for his church. He says that there's something about Christ sacrificially loving his church that husbands and wives are supposed to learn. But we make it all about ourselves. Well, I don't want to submit. Well, I don't, I don't think I love enough, you know. Rather than bringing it back to Jesus. Why is that? Well, we, we're modern people, and we, we have fallen prey to Descartes. Do you know Descartes, the philosopher? Descartes begins to doubt existence. And so he climbs into the sleeping cart and he begins to say, well, what, 
what do I really know? What, what can I say at the bottom of all things that I can say, that I can know, that I know, that I know? And he comes out and says, I think, therefore I am. And in the doing of that, he turns everything on to us. We are the center of all things. We think, therefore we must have, we have consciousness, therefore we exist, and tries to build a whole worldview out of me. That's, that, that's contrary to the, to the worldview of the scriptures though, isn't it? Have you heard, ever heard somebody say, I've lost my faith? Well, there's two things wrong with that phrase. First, it's not about you. And secondly, it's not your faith. It's important. It's about Jesus Christ. And it's about the object of your faith. It's about taking the claims of the person of Christ and saying that we believe, we believe or we reject what Jesus Christ, the person who stands before us and says, believe in me. Just like with Peter. Who do you say that I am, Peter? It's as simple as that, of coming to the person of Christ who is with us, though not bodily now, in the Spirit, who comes to us and says, I testify you that in me is life. Will you believe me? Descartes says, well, I think, therefore I am. And Jesus says, you've missed the point. Do you believe in me? You see, we, we worry if our faith is strong enough. The, the weakest faith in Jesus will overcome. People say they lose their faith. I, 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 this is just my sarcastic humor, I guess. When people say, I've lost my faith, I say, really? So if you flip that light switch, you have no faith that the electricity is going to come on. That you won't ride an airplane anymore because you're afraid that it won't lift off the ground? Is that what you're, well, no, I have faith in those things. Oh, you don't have faith in Jesus anymore. Well, that's a very different thing. I'd say it pastorally. <laughs> I'm just giving it to you guys in kind of the blunt form, but, but, it's, it's, but it's the object of our faith. It's where we put our faith in. Young adults go off to college and they're fear, fearful that somehow the, the, these big bad university professors are going to are going to rob them of their faith in Jesus. That their classmates or someone older or smarter than them is going to convince them that there's no truth in the gospel. But it's not about the strength of our faith, how great our faith is. It's about the faith that we place in Jesus. See, I don't think we should say to people, do you believe in God? Because most people say yes, but what does that mean? I think we should say, what do you believe about the claims Jesus made about being God? That brings it back to Jesus. Just like Paul bringing marriage back to Christ's sacrificial love for his church. It is about him. Let me say this, because I think sometimes that people perceive that pastors have no doubts. I have doubts. I struggle over some of Jesus' teaching. I think back a couple of years ago with some of the guys, we were doing a study on uh, Bonhoeffer's work, the, uh, and, and we're, we're reading through, and Bonhoeffer's talking about loving our enemies, and I'm scratching my head as much as the other guys going, I have no idea how to do that. And in some level, it doesn't even make any sense to do that. 
love your enemy. But in that moment, the crisis of faith is to say, but do I trust in Jesus? Do I believe that his words are truth? That I, do I believe that he did not throw his life away, but rather he gave his life, the plan of salvation, on the cross, sacrificially, loving and forgiving those who crucified him. That is the crux. That's what it comes to. But sadly, these disciples, they turn away. They, they, they are unable to receive it. They fall into despair. They cannot conceive that Jesus can, we can eat his blood, drink his blood and, and eat his body. And so they're offended by that and they walk away, the scriptures are t- tell us. And how sad that is. They didn't all walk away. It says, Jesus says, some of you have not believed. But some did. So Jesus then turns to the 12, the apostles, and he says, what about you guys? Do you also want to walk away? And here's, here's that verse that, that I want particularly our students to lock in as you start another school year. Think, what is it that, that Peter says? He says, Lord, where else will we go? Where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter offers the opposite response to the disciples that walk away. When faced with things that he doesn't understand, when he's faced with this crisis of, 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 of just not being able to ca- capture in his own mind the reality of the situation, I don't know what this means, but he says to Jesus, where else would I go? The most foolish thing to me in the world is people that just walk away from the faith to believe nothing. I mean, I'd have a little more, uh, you know, I guess respect is the right word for folks who would, who would say, you know what, I've, 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 I've studied the claims of Christianity, I've, I've read the teachings of Jesus, and I've concluded that, in fact, that Jesus is not who he said he was, but I, I'm going to follow this other religion, this other form. I, I would have more respect for that, but just to say I'm going to abandon faith in Jesus and basic, basically believe nothing just to be agnostic about it all. It's to fall into despair. Is there any wonder we're living in such a hopeless time where young people have just given up on life at an extremely early age because they see no hope, because they don't believe in anything except themselves, I think, therefore I am. Let me tell you, I was a 17-year-old boy. That gets you nowhere. Living inside your head for a couple of years, you know, right? Do 17-year-old girls go through the same thing? I don't know. I've never been a 17-year-old girl. Raised a couple. Jesus says, do you also want to leave? And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You, O own, have the words of eternal life.
You see, Peter was at a place that we each, we disciples each must be at, where we decide in humility to trust in Jesus. Now, you have to know Christ Jesus to trust him. It's about relationship. It's about having encountered by the Spirit the person of Christ and believed that he, in fact, is who he said he was. And if we hold to that truth and believe that person, he begins to teach us and disciple us. One of the ancient fathers of the church, I wasn't able to locate who, but he said, I believe in order that I might understand. Let's see, that's the opposite of Descartes. I believe in God that I might understand, that the one who made me might reveal the things that are yet beyond my comprehension, but I'm believing in Jesus. It reminds me of uh, years ago, back in the 1960s, there was a famous uh, biblical scholar who was basically one of these higher criticism guys. He, he made his living off ripping apart the scriptures and showing all sorts of inconsistencies and all sorts of, it was a very much a, a, a scientific enterprise. And he gets up and gives this lecture and he just, you know, he just tries to fillet the scriptures and create all sorts of doubt. And there's an old pastor sitting way up in the balcony who's eating his lunch. And he says to this great scholar, he says, he raises his hand and he says, I have a question for you. And the scholar says, yes, what is your question? He says, I just finished my lunch. He says, I just ate this apple. Can you tell me what this apple tasted like? Was it sweet or was it sour? And the scholar says, well, sir, I didn't eat the apple, so how possibly could I tell you what it tastes like? And the old preacher drops the apple core into his paper bag and he says, and neither do you know my Jesus. Neither do you know my Jesus. Do you want to know how you're going to navigate the hard, difficult passages and the serious questions and the scientific inquiry and the doubts of your own heart and mind by trusting Jesus who you've tasted and know is good. Jesus says, the spirit brings life. My words are spirit and life. And he offers himself. Well, what are we to do? One, as we walk out of here and into a hostile world, don't just ask people, do they know God? Ask them what they make of the claims that Jesus made about God. If we lose Jesus as the focus, we've lost already. And that's why the church is in such disarray. Because we don't make it about Jesus. And secondly, we go forth in assurance that if we believe in him, if we in humility trust in him, although we have doubts, he will guide us and he will protect what we've entrusted to. And thirdly, we remember that we don't go in the great strength of our faith, but we go in the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, 
who loved us and gave himself for us. This Jesus that we have tasted and known, he is the one that we trust. And so when times of doubt come, you say to Jesus, Lord, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We've believed, we've come to know that you are the Holy One. So through the doubt, we trust. And we love you, Jesus. And we ask you to reveal it to us. Show us what you're doing. Or we're lost without you. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.